0: Father Mitch Paco, welcome to Scripture and Tradition where we take a look at the Word of God through the lens of the apostolic tradition and we also try to look at the sacred scripture as a way to pray through it and enter into uh, knowing Christ more deeply as we pray through the scriptures. Now, we'd love to have you be part of our show. You can do that by sending us your questions or comments uh, via email. You can write to scriptureandtradition at EWTN.com, or you can follow us and participate with the show on YouTube. Now, as you recall, we're going through my book, Wheat and Tares, Restoring the Moral Vision of of a Scandalized Church. Now, you can still get that book at EWTN's Religious Catalog. Just go to EWTNRC.com, and when you get there, it is item number 81098, 81098. All right. Let's now get into the material we have for today. Last week I started to introduce the Lord at the Last Supper. Now we're going to go into this more deeply. So if we take a look at Luke, I'm going to especially focus in in this whole chapter, I'm really focusing on St. Luke and St. John and what they tell us about the Last Supper. They uh, compliment each other very nicely, and uh, I think this would be a great way to approach it. So we have to take a look uh, at the beginning in this uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. We want to understand the first steps in betraying Jesus. Now, Recall that our Lord entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Sunday was the first day of the week by Jewish counting. Uh, Saturday is their Sabbath. That's the end of the week. And our Lord comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And then He immediately went into the temple and cleared out the money changers and the people selling animals, buyers and sellers, And then he spent a few days teaching people in the temple. So the temple had the altar and the Holy of Holies in the center. It was, um, you know, a trapezoid shape, a slight trapezoid. And along the edges of the courtyard were these porticos, beautiful pillars of marble. And the top of each pillar was covered with gold. You know, at the very top of it they have the these kind of heads on top of it. It would be different plants and things on the capital of the column. And they were covered with gold. So it was quite beautiful. And there was a shaded walkway. And that's where our Lord would have been teaching. That was standard. Many other rabbis did the same. So he's teaching in the temple. And when he did this, he stirred up a lot of anger, a lot of resentment and envy from the Pharisee and Sadducee parties, especially from their leaders. As a result, they engaged Jesus IN A NUMBER OF DISPUTES, THEY BEGAN TO START UP LITTLE DEBATES AND ARGUMENTS, BECAUSE AS ST. MATTHEW POINTS OUT IN CHAPTER 22, VERSE 15, THEY WANTED TO ENTANGLE HIM IN HIS TALK. THEY WANTED TO TRAP HIM, IN OTHER WORDS, BY WHAT HE SAID. Uh, YOU DON'T ALMOST THINK THEY WERE WORKING FOR A MODERN NEWS SERVICE. So at any rate, he goes on, and his parables and the questions that he asks them back always undo what they're saying. It always trips them up. And uh, every time uh, that this went on, that they become very, very frustrated, and as The Feast of Unleavened Bread got closer and closer. It would have started at the end of the week. You see that they are looking for a way to kill him. It says that in Luke 22, verses 1 to 2. When the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover, the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people." So they didn't want to just say, OK, we've had enough of you. We're just arresting you and taking you away. The people would have rioted, and they didn't want to do that. And they had four opportunities, four occasions when they could have done that, they could have arrested them. The first is right after he turned over the money changers' tables. They could have said... That, um, you know, the uh, he, he was throwing the money around and chasing the animals out and disturbing the peace. They could have arrested him. However, however, the people were fully aware at how corrupt those money changers, buyers, and sellers were. And that's not just my opinion. This is something that you see in Luke chapter 19, Uh, verses 47 to 48. But also, in the rabbinic writings, there's a collection of the sayings of rabbis called the Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, there are different tractates. In the tractate Pesach, which means Passover, so in the tractate on Passover, uh, paragraph 57, and also in another tractate called Chagim, which is for uh, feasts. That's what that means, feasts. In uh, paragraph 2.3, you see the rabbis described the Pharisees as cheating the people when they were exchanging money and selling animals in the temple. And it's not only there, but also a Jewish historian who was born in 37 A.D., Uh, his name was Josephus. He also said the same thing. So all of our sources agree that the Sadducees were cheating the people. So they weren't going to stop Jesus at that point because everybody knew they were corrupt, they couldn't have gotten away with it, and it could get worse. Second... They questioned his authority, but you know, they said to him, um, was John the Baptist from God or, uh, uh, excuse me, no, who is your authority from? That's what they asked. Who gave you authority to teach? And Jesus says, I'll answer if you tell me. Was John the Baptist from God or was he just a man? And they were afraid to answer, not because they, they just were afraid of the people. If we say that he's just a guy, then the crowds will be mad. If we say he was from God, then Jesus will ask, why didn't you follow him? So they won't answer because they're afraid that it'll show them up to everybody as frauds. So they don't answer, so Jesus doesn't. Well, that makes them mad because he caught them again. And then he told a parable about a vineyard that had um, been lent out, rented out, actually, and they beat up the first messengers and the second messengers, and then they killed the son. And they figured out He was criticizing them. They were the ones that had been put in charge of the vineyard and they're mean to everybody and they won't do what the vineyard owner wanted. And so when they realized that they want to kill him, but again, they were afraid of the crowd and they wouldn't arrest him. You see that in Luke 20, verse 10 to 19. And then fourthly, they tried to trick him and say, uh... Master, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, pull out a coin. And they do. He said, whose head is on it? Caesar's. All right, give it back to Caesar. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God. And so that failed again. And after that, they decided to arrest Jesus in secret. That's what you see in Luke 20 verses 20 to 26. Their question was, how do we arrest them in secret? So here you have these disputes, and basically it's a spiritual battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And this will continue on in the upper room that this battle between uh, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. IS GOING TO BE CONTINUING ALL THROUGH THE LAST SUPPER. AND IT WILL BE VERY MUCH LIKE THE TEMPTATION IN THE DESERT, THAT WHERE JESUS TAKES ON SATAN. NOW, YOU SEE THAT THE APOSTLES WERE PRONE TO THEIR OWN SINS OF PRIDE. WE TOOK A LOOK AT THAT. THEY WERE ARGUING ABOUT WHICH OF THEM IS THE GREATEST, John and James were arguing they wanted to be on the right and the left side of Jesus when He came into His kingdom. Um, All sorts of this kind of pride and arrogance was going on among them. But with Judas, it's not just the regular human weaknesses of pride and sin. There's more to it. As a matter of fact, we see in John chapter 13, verse two, that, and I quote, "The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas' Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus." This battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness is raging inside the heart of Judas. And that's as Satan takes over control. Now, we see it not only in John, but we also see it in Luke 22. Um, It says there that Satan had turned Judas to his side. He sought an opportunity to betray Jesus to them in the absence of the multitude. So here Satan is working in Judas and he's looking for an opportunity. As a matter of fact, it even says in John 13 that he conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray Jesus to them and he agreed to accept money so that there is this desire by the Sadducees and the, 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 the chief priest, that was their party, and the scribes, that was the Pharisees. They want to get rid of Jesus. They don't like losing these arguments to Him in the temple. And they use Judas Iscariot, but while they're using Judas, It's also Satan who's entering him and using him as well. And that is a very, very important uh, aspect here, that Satan has Judas on his side. Now, in the face of all this, we need to remember that we are dealing with a spiritual battle, not in the time of Christ, in our own society as well. So we see St. Paul teach so brilliantly in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, AGAINST THE WORLD RULERS OF THIS PRESENT DARKNESS, AGAINST THE SPIRITUAL HOSTS OF WICKEDNESS IN THE HEAVENLY PLACES." SO THAT ST. PAUL REMINDS US THAT THIS BATTLE BETWEEN THE KINGDOM OF GOD AND THE KINGDOM OF DARKNESS IS MUCH BIGGER THAN JUST THE LITTLE PROBLEMS WE SEE HERE AND THERE. There's much more at stake, and so often this is the case. So that's something that we need to be concerned about, that when we are dealing with a lot of the problems we have in our own world, we're talking about a situation where there are a variety of forces standing up against us. You know, think how recently, in the last two, three years now, over 300 Catholic churches have been attacked. Many synagogues have been attacked as well. And some other churches. You know, why? If you disagree with us, to bring on the argument. But no, it's not just about the disagreement. They want to attack the church, and they do, and this, uh, and I just saw last week that a priest only ordained a year in Nigeria was murdered. You know that people fear um, a good priest. That the, but it's not regular people. I mean, most people would say, well, why would you kill a priest? But if you are in the spiritual battle. And you have someone who is your enemy. You want to see them undone. So this is this bigger spiritual battle. And that spiritual battle is something going on at the Last Supper. That temptation, that struggle to use, to get in control of Judas's decisions and then to get... Uh, Him not only on their side, but use him to betray Jesus. All of this is going on. And what we're going to do, we'll take a little break at this point, and we'll come back to take a look at how they prepared for the Last Supper and how some of those preparations were setting not only the physical stage, but a, a stage for our faith and this great battle between evil and good. So please stay with us and we'll be right back. I just want to remind you that we are going to have another EWTN family celebration on Saturday, August 26th in Birmingham, Alabama. And we don't want you to miss this. It's going to be at the Birmingham Jefferson Convention Complex, which is just about where I-20 and I-65 meet. And we invite you there because we'll have a lot of your the, your hosts that you see here on the network, opportunities for confession. Of course, we'll have mass uh, that day. And we'll uh, also have an opportunity to do some shows with you right there. So that'll be fun. And one of the things that you can do to f- register is call 1 800 447. 3986 one 800 447 3986 or go to our website, eWtn.com slash family celebration. And we want you to register so we make sure we have enough places for you. But the event is free. So we invite you to come and join us if you can. It'd be a delight. Um, okay? All right. We are continuing on with uh, Chapter 3 from my book, Wheat and Tares. And in this chapter, we are taking a look at the Last Supper. Now we saw that in setting the stage for everything, there's all this tension between Jesus and the Sadducees and Pharisees and how Satan enters into Judas Iscariot and is going to try to get him to be the means to betray Jesus to the Pharisees and Sadducees who very much want to kill Jesus. They've been building for a few days. Now they're going to look for that opportunity. And Satan certainly helps in the spiritual battle. Now, we want to take a look at the other level, Christ preparing for the Passover. And we'll see that again in John 13 and Luke 22. First of all, John chapter 13, verse 1, gives a very important clue. It says that the Last Supper occurred, quote, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart. OUT OF THIS WORLD TO THE FATHER, HAVING LOVED HIS OWN WHO WERE IN THE WORLD, HE LOVED THEM TO THE END. NOW, NOTICE IT SAYS THAT HE WANTS THEM TO PREPARE ROOM BEFORE THE PASSOVER, BUT IT'S ALSO THE PASSOVER MEAL, OR AT LEAST THE FEAST OF UNLEAVENED BREAD. WHAT'S GOING ON HERE? It's key to understand. I think this is a a very fine explanation of it. Judaism had divided up into a variety of sects. There were different groups. We already mentioned the Sadducees and the Pharisees. There were others, like the Zealots, who were related to the Pharisees. And then there was a group called the Essenes, the Essenes. They lived near the Dead Sea, and we're pretty sure that they're the ones who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, they had a different kind of calendar. They used a solar calendar. And by various calculations and manipulations, they made it so that they always started Passover on a Wednesday, always, every year. And they depended on that solar calendar. But the Sadducees and the Pharisees used a lunar calendar. And in fact, we still do the same thing when we determine Easter. Easter is always the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the spring equinox, or vernal equinox. Well, they celebrate their Passover on the 14th day of the month after the first, uh, after uh, the full moon, as it's always at the time of the full moon, after the spring equinox, so that they agree on And in this particular year, The Essenes would start their Passover on a Wednesday, but the scribes and Pharisees began it on Friday evening. That's why our Lord celebrates Passover on Thursday, but Passover began on Friday. He uses the Essene date, and then he's crucified on the Passover of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's basically what's going on. So um, we see in St. Luke chapter 22, verse 8, that Jesus sends Peter and John into the city of Jerusalem, and He says to them, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. Now, they want to know where. And Jesus doesn't give them an address, nor does He give a name. Why? Because He does not want Judas Iscariot to know where He's going to have that Passover supper. He wants it to be a secret from Judas. So what does He do? He says, you will go into the city and, as He says, you will find a man carrying a jar of water and follow him into the house which he enters because you will find it prepared. Now, a couple things. In their culture, men, did not carry water jars. That was normally something that women did. Okay? It's the way that society was structured. And the woman at the well in Chapter 4 is a woman who goes there at noon because she wasn't all that welcome at the other times. You also see um, Rebecca going to the well to get water when Abraham's servant uh, goes there and he sets as a norm that when a woman comes here to get water, she'll offer to water my camels. So you see that scene often, that women went to get water. That was just a standard custom. And here you have a man going to get water. This would be a very odd sight. But this helps to explain that he's an Essene. The the core of the Essene community did not get married. They were celibate. So he has to go and get his own water because he doesn't have a wife or daughter uh, to do it for him. So that's one of the things going on there. And that's why it's such an odd situation. But he will lead the two disciples to a house in the Essene quarter. And in fact, that's where the upper room is. It's in the old Essene quarter of Jerusalem on the southwest part of the city. And this, uh, they, they go there and they... Uh, are told by Jesus to tell the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I'm to eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. There, make ready. So the reason that it was already furnished and prepared for Passover is that as a scene,s they would have started the Passover before the other Jewish people. That's why he's doing that. So it's already ready. He wants to die during the Passover, but he wants to celebrate the Passover. So that's how he bridges that gap. And while the Essenes began their Passover on Tuesday night, which is considered Wednesday, He celebrates His Last Supper on Thursday night. In other words, He's not celebrating exactly the Essene nor the Pharisee Sadducee calendar. He's doing something that is His own. It's distinct to Jesus, and that's what this Last Supper is going to be. So that's a key element. And then one other point about all this that St. John brings out is that this is called the hour. The hour. What does that mean? In the first 12 chapters of St. John's Gospel, we see a number of miracles, seven of them, in fact. And that these miracles dominate what is in the first 12 chapters. So that, and the, the miracles of Jesus are called signs. They're signs that point to who Jesus is. They're indicated, like the loaves and fish, and the healing of the blind man in Jerusalem, the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda, the water into wine at CANA, and so on. All these are signs pointing beyond themselves, as some people even point out, they're directing us towards the sacraments. And that's what's going on in those first chapters. So we call it the book of signs. But then in chapter 13 to the end of John to 21, scholars call it the book of glory. It's about the glory of Christ. And that includes, His glory includes the Last Supper, Gethsemane, the crucifixion, and the betrayal of Jesus, so that, uh, as well as His resurrection from the dead. And that He is going to return to the Father's glory. He has to go through all of that suffering and then rise again and then ascend to the glory of the Father. And because all of it is necessary, then he, uh, this whole section is called the Book of Glory because it's leading him back to the glory he had with the Father. And the signs, the miracles, were meant for the general public. But the Book of Glory is focused on the small group OF THE TWELVE APOSTLES AND A FEW OTHER DISCIPLES, THAT'S IT. AND THIS IS SOMETHING THAT WOULD BE ONLY FULLY UNDERSTOOD BY THOSE DISCIPLES AND ANYONE TO WHOM THEY TEACH IT. AND WE SEE THAT IN JOHN 13, VERSE 1, ST. JOHN WRITES, Now, before the Feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. So He calls this His hour. His hour had come. Earlier in the Gospel, He had talked about this hour. And we see... Uh, how, uh, for instance, in John 11, verse 55, that after He raised Lazarus, St. John notes, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And then again in John 12, verse 1, just before He has a big meal to celebrate Lazarus' resuscitation at Bethany, Uh, He also mentions that Judas was a thief. And now we see that this Passover is called Jesus' hour. This is the hour when Jesus will depart from this world and go to the Father. St. Luke has the same sense in Luke 22, uh, verse 14. HE SAID WHEN THE HOUR CAME, HE SAT AT TABLE AND THE APOSTLES WITH HIM. HE ALSO SAW THIS LAST SUPPER AS PART OF THIS HOUR. AND HE MENTIONS HOW GREATLY JESUS DESIRED TO CELEBRATE THIS PASSOVER uh, AND THAT THIS SUFFERING IS A NECESSARY PART OF THE HOUR THAT WILL LEAD TO THE GLORY. this is all necessary before the death and resurrection. And this will be a key understanding about Jesus and what He's doing at this. It's His hour. A very special moment. And we speak about having a moment. Our Lord spoke about His hour. And that's what's going to be going on here. And that sense of the essential timing of everything and how it's all part of a larger plan, this is how we should understand it. Okay? All right. Let's stop there and we're going to take, first of all, a call. We have Roland from Canada. What part of Canada are you from, Roland? I'm in uh, Ontario,
1: the northern part, of Canada.
0: Okay, right, wow. So it might still be a I bit chilly up there, right? The What's that?
1: I I'm in the north of Canada where there's snow for about eight months of the year.
0: Okay. Well, good, good to have you with us. Well, what is you. your question or comment?
1: Well, I, um, I'm just questioning the fact when you mentioned that uh, Jesus had said that uh, to Judas, or he didn't say it to Judas, but he said that he was a devil. I don't mm-hmm. know what verse it is again, but, uh, you know, I, Catherine of, Sien, Catherine of Siena, and, and Teresa of Avila, I've read, I believe, that she prayed for Judas. Mm-hmm. And yet, Luisa Picaretta She says
0: that he's in hell. Mm -hmm. What do we believe? Well, Roland, that's a really excellent question. Let me say something that the nuns who taught me way back in the 1950s said. First, the church never says definitively that Judas is in hell. WHAT HE DID WAS VERY WRONG. AND THERE'S NO DOUBT ABOUT THAT. BUT it, THE CHURCH NEVER DECLARES ANYBODY TO BE IN HELL. WE WILL CANONIZE SAINTS, BUT WE WON'T, YOU KNOW, uh, we, WE WON'T uh, SAY FOR SURE THAT SOMEBODY IS IN HELL. We don't know that, and we can't know that. We don't know if in the final second of his life he repented. We don't know that. Now, is it very likely? I don't think so. Our Lord said, woe to that man. It would be better if he had never been born. That's what our Lord teaches. And, but he doesn't say for sure that he's in hell. So I don't speculate. Um, I, I, I don't think that's useful. And I can't possibly know. So I say, no, leave that to be and pray for those who have died um, and those who are in need of, most need of God's mercy. But to say anything for sure about Judas's soul is something we can't do. That is what our Lord Jesus meant when he said, Judge not, lest you be judged by the same standard. Okay? All right. We have another caller here, too. Let's go to Anthony in the great state of Florida. That's one end of North America to the other. Uh, Anthony, <laughs> what can we do for you? Uh, hello, 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 Father Mitch. How are you? I'm fine. What, what, what can we do for you today? Well, I'd like you to pray for my wife and I first, and then uh, foremost, sure. I can grant you for 47 years in the in the church, uh, and uh, plus maybe 47 more. God and, willing. More. God willing. <laughs> as a matter of fact, that's as long as I've been. I might been able to do your wedding. God loves you, and so do we. Uh, my question was about the Lord Jesus Christ um, and the devil. He st- stated that there was a dev- devil. He was aware of the devil being with him in the flock uh, mm-hmm. on the way, and uh, how could he allow this to happen, Father? We'd like to know. Yeah, let me, uh, Anthony, have you ever, uh, you're old enough. I'll bet uh, you may have had relatives who fought in World War II, right? And one, <laughs> and, and one. Say, yeah. And I, yeah. I didn't want to push it, <laughs> but you know, uh, you know, my dad fought in the war and such. And, Absolutely. You know, this was uh, one of the things that they used to say during the war: "Is loose lips sink ships." Ships. yes. Loose Remember lips hearing ships. about that? That was Absolutely. a way of saying that if you are too talkative about various military things, there could be enemies of our nation listening to you. Well, there's, and then, of course, there were people um, who betrayed us. There was a a woman uh, in Germany who spoke good English. I think she had lived in the United States. AND SHE WOULD BROADCAST TO OUR TROOPS. SAME THING IN JAPAN. A WOMAN NAMED TOKYO ROSE USED TO DO THAT. AND BY THEM BETRAYING OUR COUNTRY, THEY WERE OPENING UP THE DOOR TO WEAKEN OUR RESOLUTION TO FIGHT. THEY WERE TRYING TO GET OUR SOLDIERS MAD. THEY WOULD SAY, well, boys, you just lost another ship. The uh, Empire of Japan blew up your ship. Uh, have any friends there that died? They, they would do this kind of mockery. And this was meant to weaken our soldiers. Well, here's one of the things. When you know, most of us would not want traitors to use anything we say against our country. BUT THEY WERE DOING THAT BECAUSE THEY GOT THE INFORMATION. SIMILAR, THERE'S A parallel, WHEN WE COMMIT SIN, WE ARE ENABLING THE ENEMY. THE ENEMY IS WATCHING AND LOOKING FOR OPPORTUNITIES TO TEMPT US TO BE EVIL. AND WHEN WE SIN, WE OPEN UP THAT POSSIBILITY. We are getting towards the enemy's side of things. And they can use that as an opportunity to betray the kingdom of God. We may not intend to betray God's kingdom, but we do so. If we make allowance for sin and say, well, it's not that big a sin, or, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not going to worry about this. And when we do that, we open up. THE WAY FOR THE ENEMY OF OUR SOUL TO START INFLUENCING US. AND THAT'S WHAT OFTENTIMES GOES ON. THAT WE, it's, IT'S, YOU KNOW, WE'RE DOING THE BETRAYING OF GOD AND OF OUR FELLOW CHRISTIANS, AND THEN SATAN USES THAT AS AN OPPORTUNITY TO AFFECT OTHER PEOPLE AS WELL. DOES THAT MAKE SENSE? I think he's gone. So it's, it's something that um, I, I think we, we need to pay attention to. That's why we, I wrote this book. You know, the, the priest scandal that we were talking about throughout this book, that giving into certain sins of the flesh not only affected the victims, but on a global scale, it opened up cynicism. ABOUT THE CHURCH. AND IT JUST BECOMES A WAY FOR THE ENEMY TO TRY AND WEAKEN US. AND THAT HAPPENS WITH SIN IN GENERAL. SO THAT'S, WE OPEN UP THAT WAY FOR THE EVIL ONE TO HAVE AN INFLUENCE ON US. ALL RIGHT, I NEED TO TAKE A BREAK. WE'LL COME BACK IN JUST A MINUTE. SO PLEASE STAY WITH US. Welcome back. And uh, we're answering some of your questions and we have another caller. We have Kathy in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Kathy, what can we do for you?
1: Uh, hi, Father. Thank you for taking my question. Sure. I, um, Our priest was talking at Corpus Christi about the body of Christ and mm-hmm. he explained it as us receiving the soul of Christ. And in our catechesis we teach our children about the epiclesis and how the priest's hands come down over the bread and the wine mm-hmm. and they are transformed into mm-hmm. the body and blood right. of Christ. Right. Now one of the kids come and say, Well, I thought it was just the soul. What am I going to say to these kids, you know?
0: Well uh, it, here here's what I say yes you receive the so uh, as a matter of fact what you may want to do is go back to the Council of Trent uh, not that you can go back there though Trent is a nice little town uh, <laughs> but you can get the documents of the Council of Trent from our website <laughs> and with it's uh, at EWTN.com and I'll documents library. You can see under councils, all the Council of Trent. And it was uh, in the session on the Eucharist. It talks about how um, Jesus' Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity are present. In, uh, the Eucharist is Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. So you do receive His soul, but you also receive His body and blood and uh, His full divinity. So it's all of Him because it is cha- the substance. See, this is, uh, I don't know uh, what kind of training uh, the, the Father had, but, you know, the it's the whole person of Christ, and his soul is not separated from his body. When he rose from the dead, his body and soul are together again. And you know, when he died, his soul went to the uh, place of the dead. Oh, but he, now that he's raised up, it's. He only is together in his body and uh, and soul uh, and his divinity. So all of that is fully present. And so you you don't have to say, oh, that's totally wrong. No, just say, yeah, that's there. But because of his resurrection from the dead, you can't separate his body and soul anymore. Does that help? Oh, yes, yes yeah that would be a good way to start. so you don't want to cause too much you know trouble, um, but you can you know build on that, say yes and there's more. But go to the Council of Trent and also go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church in its section on the Eucharist. and I believe they quote that there too. okay? All right, we have a, still another caller. Uh, we have Anne, in the great state of Illinois. And what can we do for
1: you today? Hello, Father Mitch, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, is my understanding that the difference between the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church is that the Orthodox leader does not believe in the authority of the Pope. Mm-hmm. And my question is, how does the Orthodox leader interpret the Gospel of Matthew? Where Jesus says, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church.
0: Oh yeah. And here here's one of the things you have to keep in mind. There is no one leader or one head of all the Orthodox churches. They are they call themselves autocephalous. Um Kephalos is the Greek word for head. So every Orthodox Church has its own patriarch. And what they believe, uh, and, and of course, the Pope of Rome is the patriarch of Rome and the West. But they also have patriarchs. Uh, There's a patriarch for the Romanian Orthodox Church, for the Bulgarian Church, for the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox, and so on. And so they believe that the Pope may be the first among equals, but they want to emphasize that he is equal to all the other patriarchs. And... We in the Catholic Church also have multiple patriarchs. There's the Patriarch of Alexandria, the Patriarch of Constant, uh, well, Istanbul. Uh, wait, no, we don't have one there. Antioch. We have an Antioch, Alexandria, Jerusalem, and there are a few others. The uh, Patriarch of Babylon, uh, who's the head of the, um, uh, the Chaldean Church, And so on. So they have a number of uh, patriarchs, and we say that the Pope is still the head of the Church, and he is not only first, but Jesus didn't say that he's simply first among equals. That's a later, later formula. Rather, he is the rock upon which the Church is built. That was said by Jesus, and it wasn't said to the other apostles. So we talk not just about being first among equals, but we speak about Peter having a primacy. Now, the the pope does consult with the other patriarchs and with the other bishops and cardinals, that's for sure. He doesn't run a council by himself, and a lot of times he doesn't even go into the council. Even in the Vatican Council, Pope uh, Saint John the Twenty-Third and Pope Saint Paul the Sixth oftentimes did not go into the council. They wanted the bishops to discuss among themselves, and they watched on you know, uh, television, uh, what was going on. But they weren't directly involved. And they wanted the bishops to have freedom to speak. But they're going to have the final say. The Orthodox don't think that any patriarch can have a final say and that they all have to vote on something and all of them agree on something together rather than one of them having authority over the others. So that would be, you know, part of the difference. There are a few other differences as well, but that would be part of it. Um, just as a little side point, it, that makes it difficult for them to even have a council very often because one patriarch can say, nope, I don't want a council, and then they can't have one. So that's one of the things going on. So it's easier for us to do what the Pope's saying. I said, all oh, you guys get together. All right, well, I'm afraid we run out of time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you and lead you in all of your ways by His peace. The mighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And again, remember that this network is brought to you by you. So we ask you and remind you to please keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill. And we'll pay all of our bills too. God bless you and thank you all.